Hi everybody, I'm Aaron Meikle. Welcome back once again to Beef and Lamb New Zealand's Seen and Heard. So I'm going to introduce our speaker in just a minute, but um, what we're going to talk about today actually really struck me when I was reading through the fact sheet and looking at the video that it's quite dramatic. So um, Anne, I'm going to introduce you in a minute. Welcome to the call. Um, you had a look at sheep at ewes, at their udders, 5 to 7%, on average 5, but up to 7% of ewes had a, an udder defect, and we'll talk about what those are and when you measured them. Give us the bottom line number. The impact of those defects on lamb survival and lamb live weight gain was pretty dramatic, wasn't it? It was, yeah. So lambs whose mums had a, a defective udder were three to four times more likely to die compared with lambs whose mums had a good udder. Um, and the, the, the growth rates were about 25 grams a day less up to weaning. So overall, it meant that ewes with dodgy udders weaned about 11 kilograms less of lamb compared yeah. with the normal ewe. Yep. So when, when you say, you know, three to four times higher mortality, I mean, we're normally talking, what, 15 to 20% mortality in lambs. So is that is that right? We're talking close to 50% of those lambs were dying? Yes, that's correct. Yeah, no, so it's fairly, fairly dramatic. All right, look, I better introduce my speaker. I just thought I'd actually get it. That, that really struck me. And that's if that doesn't get sheep farmers' attention, then, then nothing else will. So look, welcome to the call, Anne Riddler, um, Associate Professor, Sheep and Beef Cattle Health and Production at Massey University. Um, we were having a bit of a chat offline. What, what does a, an associate professor of uh, sheep and beef cattle health and production do at the moment when we're all not allowed to, to go to work? Um, so I have a sort of a mixed role. I do teaching, research and administration. Um, so at the moment I'm working from home, sort of developing online teaching resources and just uh, keeping track of various staff and, and students and um, doing some research, writing papers and things like that as well. Good chance to catch up, but as we were discussing, you particularly for um, your young uh, vets in training or vets to be, it's um, not ideal when they can't actually do hands-on learning. Yeah, that's right. So the practical components obviously are a really important part of the vet degree. So we're hoping that we can get back to face-to-face -face teaching in the not too distant future, so that we can we can get onto that. Definitely. No, I think we're all looking forward to that, particularly in the farming community, where that that social side of things at events is is just as important. But hey, look. If you go through Beef and Land New Zealand resources, those of you that are listening, you'll you notice we have a real focus. I've talked a lot about body condition scoring ewes. Our speakers have really emphasised that, talking about getting used to that ideal body condition score at, at lambing. Um, and we talk about pasture management and having those ewes in good nick and also lambing on, on a good cover. But as you've just heard from Anne, um, do all that, but for a significant number of ewes in great nick on great feed are still not going to have lambs that survive or thrive. Um, because of other defects. So we'll get into that. And you sort of um, talked a bit about what you found. We're going to talk about how, how did the re what was the research project, Dan? How did you actually go and find out this information? Yes, yeah, so there's been a couple of, um, I guess, projects that are related that we've been working on. So we had 1,200 ewes based at our Riverside Farm in Wairarapa. Um, and we followed those for three years and we checked every single measurement you can imagine with their udders and teats. And we did that four times a year across those three years. So we had 12 measurements per ewe. And then we also did lambing beets and matched the ewes to the lambs so we could look at lamb survival. We chopped open all the dead lambs to see why they died and we looked at their growth rates. So we had good information from that in terms of what the effects of the defects were on the, on the lambs. Um, and we also went to 11 commercial farms in the Lower North Island and checked about 500 ewes per farm just at weaning. And then we went back five, uh, four to six weeks later and checked the udders again. So that was to see whether the udder defects we were finding at Riverside on the study farm are similar to what we're finding out in the 
on other farms um, and what how many ewes were affected. So just trying to give a bit of a an overview yep. of what's happening out there. And um, just that'll probably um, perk people's um, ears up a little. Were things quite similar between Riverside and the commercial farms? They were very much so, yeah. Yep. So the prevalent, so the number of ewes that were affected and the types of defects we were finding were very consistent okay. between farms. Well, and we better do the we better do the funders plug at the start. Who who paid for the research? Yeah. So Beef and Lamb in New Zealand were the major funder, um, and we've also had some funding from the Selma Baker Trust and Massey University um, via studentships and and staff time and things. Yeah. So that was uh, yeah, just to let farmers know they they paid for a large part of this work, but also because um, how Anne and I ended up doing this podcast is we've recently Beef and Lamb New Zealand have published a fact sheet written by Anne on the. The work examining use others and, and finding those defects and identifying those use. And uh, there's a video that Anne, you can see Anne um, showing exactly how to examine use others on our YouTube channel. And we'll put the links to, to both of those in the, the blurb of this podcast. So you, you've talked about what you did. I mean, the first thing there, in case people picked up on it, you're not suggesting that commercial sheep and beef farmers need to check their udders of their use four times a year, are you? No, definitely not. So we were trying to work out when was the best time to check in terms of um, relating it to lamb production. And we also, we spent, a, we measured everything you can imagine. So teeth mm -hmm. length and teeth width and how they hung and what shape they were and, you know, the others were and things um, so that other people don't have to. Um, yeah. because what, um, so we actually dragged the, all the ewes across the board so that they were sitting up so we could examine the udders properly. Um, and what we found from that is that the, the things that are important are what the udder feels like, essentially. So it means that they can be examined in the race. Um, most of the things we measured were not relevant, which is good news yep. for everybody, really. Yep, so good, they can so. be examined standing in the race reasonably quickly um, and, you know, find quite impactful results yep. if you're picking up defects. And only one time of the year that pet farmers need to do that? They don't need to repeatedly check the ewes? No, based on what we found, the best time is actually about four to six weeks after weaning. So oh. a lot of farmers do it at weaning time, which is kind of sensible because you can get rid of them quickly and things. Um, but quite a few ewes actually develop defects after weaning, so probably post-weaning mastitis and various other things. Uh -huh. So sort of between four and six weeks after weaning is good because it means that you pick up more ewes, but it also gives you a little bit of time before mating um, to sort out the ewe numbers and, and things. Yeah, awesome. Sorry, carry on. Uh, that that timing is also the most closely linked to the performance that the ewe, the lamb performance from those ewes as well. Okay. So it's the best timing in terms of finding all the defects and obviously therefore um, how they're going to perform. Brilliant. All right. Well, we will. I'll come back to that and, and we'll dig into a bit more detail. What was it that actually prompted this bit of work? I mean, was it unexplained sort of land losses? You couldn't work out what was going on, or or why did you decide actually have a look at these um, these issues with ewes udders? Yeah, good question. Um, so I guess two reasons. Firstly, lamb deaths are a problem on New Zealand farms as they are in most of the world and one that we're really struggling to improve much on. Um, so you udders are an obvious place to start. Um, when we talked to farmers and vets, everybody had a different opinion on when you should be examining them, how you should examine them, what was important, which one should be culled, etc, etc. So everybody was quite firm about what they thought was right, but th there was so much variation, it was really quite astonishing. Um, and also, most of the research on this was done back in the 1960s, and obviously our sheep have changed a lot since then, they're having a lot more lambs. Uh -huh. uh, and, so, and so that sort of 
lambing percent, but also pre-winning goat growth rates have just become more and more important. And obviously, therefore, the udder defects or the, the impact of the udder has become more and more important as well. So it seemed timely to um, oh. re-evaluate it and try and provide some firm guidelines rather than everyone having a, a different opinion on what was important and what wasn't. Doesn't sound like New Zealand sheep and beef industry disagreeing on things at all, but um, just um, you're talking there about the, the impact of fecundity, you know, more twins, therefore other defects are going to have a bigger impact on, on more land. Does it go around the other way? Is the higher fecundity of ewes with, you know, greater pressure on the udder from twins, suckling, etc., likely to increase? I mean, ewes that tend to rear twins more likely to have a defect as a result of that, or is it is not related to number of lambs uh, reared? Um, as far as we can find it was related mm -hmm. um yeah but certainly yeah i mean one of the major things i guess i found overseas is that the more lambs that suckle at you especially if there's a lot of cross suckling so if you've got yeah. a paddock of triplets and they're swapping between you mm -hmm. a little bit um that does increase the problems as well they're bringing in different bacteria and things with, yeah. with different lambs thank you Dave. so all right, you've, you've talked about how the study, and we, we talked about the top line number there. The average was around, I think you said, 5% of the ewes at that four to six weeks post-weaning had a significant or a serious defect with their udder. What was the range like when you went out and looked across that, that group of commercial farms? Yeah, it ranged from about, I think, 1.8 to to over 7%. So it was okay. you know, not too far different from the 5%, but there was definitely variation between farms yeah yeah and, and, and those farms varied between farmers that checked the use quite regularly and farmers that had never checked their use others before so um there would have been a little bit of that as well a bit of variation in the, in the use that we were looking at um, so you talked there about uh yeah the range between farms is there any sort of uh i don't know did you see anything certain farms steeper farms flatter farms drier farms wetter farms had had a, a worse incidence is there something on the farm itself that could be causing defects or that farmers could um, identify on their own farm that might be a problem no there was nothing we could tell between farms um we didn't have enough farms okay. to really say that anyway and i think there's probably so many factors that might affect it that, that trying to pin it down to a yeah. certain things would be would be quite challenging it would be quite a big study but um yeah so no uh, it so seemed like all the farms were they were all sort of commercial hill country sheep and beef farms um but you know yeah. different breeds and different management methods and things but the, the number of defects was not that dissimilar between them they were all reasonably consistent yeah and no, i'll just the, as you'll see in the fact sheet um listeners if you have a look uh, across the farms the 10 farms that are there in, in the in the the illustration in the fact sheet that there isn't a huge i mean it's significant but it's still none of the farms got away scot-free they all had some the thing that really struck me and, and i guess this is where you've come with the recommendation about four to six weeks post winning all of the farms showed a fairly marked increase in the percentage of use with other defects from weaning to that four to six weeks later um, yeah, that's right. So, so as a rough generalisation, about the same number again developed. Uh -huh. So, if a farmer started had two percent at weaning, another two percent would develop four to six weeks after weaning, yeah. or or whatever. So, yeah, it was roughly the same number again would develop defects after weaning. So, I think even though it's more convenient to do it at weaning or very soon uh -huh. after, actually to really get good impact from doing it, it's it's better to wait that four to six weeks. Yeah, no, I mean, it's just, um, I'm just looking at it and measuring it by iometer, but, you know, for a number of farms, it looks like the number of ewes with a defect doubled over that four yeah. or six. So you'd only get basically half of them if you did it at weaning. 
Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's that's a better way of expressing it. Yep. Yep. No, it's and just yeah. Repeat what we said at the start. We were you know close to half of the lambs born to use with another defect would not survive. That's right. Yep. Yep. And then those that did survive were still about two kilos lighter at weaning. That's right. Yep. Yeah. No, that's that's fairly dramatic. You know, when five percent of you use, it's having that level of impact, particularly if it's likely to you know have a bigger impact on twins and triplets. So um, the size of the prize there is is fairly significant. Um, the timing, four to six weeks. What should farmers be doing? How should they be doing it around that four to six weeks post weaning? What's the what's your recommendations? Um, so the easiest thing is to just have the ewes standing in the race facing away. Um, uh -huh just as you would if you were drenching them or vaccinating them. Um, probably easiest with a slightly wider race than two people if you've got two people, but um, uh -huh. otherwise it's fine. And then just one hand or two hands just feeling the udder and you're feeling for whether the udder's hard, and by hard I mean really hard, like when, when the udder's full of milk it's quite firm, but when it's got uh -huh. mass, it's really quite hard. Whether it's hard or whether you can feel lumps within the udder tissue. So you kind of need to squeeze both sides of the udder um, uh -huh. feeling for how, how hard or soft they are it is and then whether there's noticeable lumps within the tissue um, uh -huh. and if it's being done four to six weeks after weaning also just rolling the teat between your finger and your thumb each teat uh -huh. and there's a hard core a bit like a pencil lead down the middle of the teat that's also a problem okay so this is a hard one to, to sort of explain when we're, we're just talking on a podcast just the audio but as i say um, you've got a fairly comprehensive video showing a how to do it and b what you're looking for, what you're identifying, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, we yeah. have. It's kind of hard to describe things <laughs> that you feel. <laughs> yeah. So hopefully the pictures help with that. And what? yeah, hopefully yeah. it also gives yeah. an indication that just looking at the audit isn't actually good enough because a lot of the problems can't be seen; they have to be felt. Yeah. And one of the things I did pick up on, you know, you're feeling the udder, but often I think you note in there that users will often have lumps and bumps on their body. It's if they're sort of near the udder or not actually part of it, it's not such a big worry. You're just checking that the udder itself uh, for those, the lumps have got to be in the udder. Is that, that right? Yeah, that's right. And that was actually a really interesting finding that a lot of users, especially after weaning, have sort of lumps just in front of the udder or just behind the udder. Um mm -hmm. And they can be quite large, um, and about 3% of ewes seem to have them, but actually they're not a problem, and they're not within the udder tissue. So, again, yep. with the with the pictures and the video, hopefully it's really quite clear that the lump's sort of alongside the udder, but not within it, because yeah. if it's not within it, it's not, it's not a problem. Yeah, so have, have a look at the facts. I mean, I think we're making it, it sounds more complex than, than when you watch the video, isn't it? I mean, you're... You, you're talking a matter of seconds per year to do each of these checks. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, you don't. You can do hundreds in an hour if you've got a good setup. Yep. And these defects, they don't resolve. I mean, you're, what you're talking, the years you found with the defects, you were talking about the 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 following lambing. These aren't the defects, and they've had, lost the lamb already. That the previous lambing, you're saying those defects stay in the udder and are going to affect the following year's lambing. Is that right? Yeah. So if, at the at the four to six weeks post weaning, they're, they're predictive of what's going to happen the following yep. week. Um, they probably will change, and we haven't. We're doing that study at the moment about how they change over time, mm -hmm. but they are fundamentally problems with the udder that are going to get bigger and smaller and, and things. But because they're caused by bacteria and there's, mm -hmm. you know, there's infection and scar tissue and things in there, they're not 
they're not unlikely to sort of magically resolve as such, but they will change form if that makes sense. Yeah. No, so but again, touch on what you said, that you'll read the, the, the best correlation you found or the best time of year to measure to get that link with you, the lamb losses and the poor lamb growth was to do it about that four to six weeks post weaning. Yeah, yep, yeah, that gives a really good indication of what's going to happen on the lambing that's coming up. Awesome. Hey, look, it's a um, big topic, as I said, big impact on lamb production, but it's actually when we talk about a reasonably straightforward thing, check your ewes, put your hands on the, the udder and check for those things you were talking about. Is it as simple as that? Is there anything we've missed that we haven't covered in the, the time we've been talking? I think it is as simple as that, actually. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, arguably you could say, oh, we, we kind of already knew that. But as I say, when we talked to farmers and vets, there was a huge variation in what people were concerned about, mm. what they were looking for, how they were doing it. So just trying to get some consistency with how people approach it and some numbers around what impact yeah. it actually has. So hopefully the um, the video and the, and the fact sheet help people see what they're actually trying to find and then can be a bit more objective about culling decisions rather than being unsure about yeah. whether colour you or No, well, definitely. And I think, you know, everybody's aware of other defects, but those numbers, 5% on average up to 7% in some flocks, um, and then the impact that has, that's uh, that's fairly – it's probably certainly bigger than I would have hazarded a guess. I would have said, no, I can understand why others have impacts, but um, – that's fairly dramatic. So, as I said, we'll have a look in the blurb. You'll see the video there where Anne talks through this and shows you moving pictures, assessing a you and actually looking at her udder. The fact sheet has a whole lot of detail plus some some really good sort of diagnostic pictures. Um, yeah, I think anything else we want to cover off, Anne, on that topic? Um, no, I don't think so. We're still doing a little bit more research, more specifically yep. milking use with udder defects, so trying uh -huh. to be a bit more um, – find out exactly how much milk they're producing and whether it changes in composition and things, but it's it's not going to change the big picture. It's just yeah, just just to get some more detail around the around the science, I guess. Yeah. So at the moment, I mean any farmers can do this measurement, cull those ewes with those defects that are likely to have a, a significant impact, but um, there's nothing else in terms of management on farm they could change to reduce the likelihood of you other defects? Yeah, that's a good question. I guess in the dairy industry, you know, we talk about post-weaning um, or, you know, post-dry-off mm -hmm. mastitis and how you can manage cows in the dry period to reduce mastitis and things. Um, we don't have any recommendations on that, unfortunately, because it's not – we just don't have any yeah. any information or any science around how to manage that. And obviously, um, you know, reducing feeding after weaning could have other – potential negative consequences which are, yeah. which are not very good so yeah I think um, yeah I guess in terms of if you do have ewes during lambing that have mastitis um, you know potentially treating those but by the time you get to weaning time it's you know usually too late for treatment because it's, yeah. it's quite a long-term infection yeah. yeah awesome hey look I think we've um, yeah as I say big Big issue, big uh, potentially big prize, but fairly simple to actually explain and hopefully get uh, farmers out there doing it. So uh, before we wrap up, anything else, Ian? No, that's that's it for me. Thanks, Aaron. Brilliant. Hey, look, thank you very much for your time. That was Ian Riddler, Associate Professor of Sheep and Beef Cattle Health and Production at Massey University, talking about um, a really neat bit of research. It's it's nice when something comes out with some um, nothing's a silver bullet, but some some really nice clear findings like that. So. Check out the fact sheet, it's linked in the blurb, and definitely go and have a look at the, uh, the, the video, which is also linked in the blurb on our YouTube channel, which will, what, if you're a wee bit confused what we've been talking about, that will make it all come clear. But um, Anne, thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much. Thank you.